So my name is Brad Burton. I'm the UK's number one motivational business speaker. I'm also the four-time best-selling author and, of course, the founder of 4Networking, the UK's largest joined-up business network prior to the pandemic. So you want a fun fact about me? Back in, in fact, go on to Google and Google Brad Burton Games Master. You will see me back in 1993, complete with hair and an earring. I look like a pirate uh, with PJ and Duncan in Old Money uh, and, and Deck, where I was a co-commentator on Games Master. I used to be a computer games journalist and you will find articles written by me from 1993 on Amiga Action, Mega Action. So Google Brad Burton Games Master. That's your fun fact. I'm Phil Hobden, and you're listening to the Practice Evolution Podcast, brought to you by Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting UK. In this podcast series, we talk to industry leaders, influencers, fellow accountants and technology experts to address the key issues impacting you, the accountant, as you continue to evolve your practice and adapt to the ever-changing need of both your teams and your clients. And this episode, uh, I'm by myself. Ollie is on holiday as I record this. Um, and I wanted to talk to someone that actually whilst not an accountant um, or uh, someone that works in accountancy per se, but someone that's definitely having uh, or, or making an impact within the accountancy sector. So today I am very happy to be joined by Brad Burton. Good. Well, hello to you, Brad. Phil, 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 you know what I love about this? You've done your hair as well, like me. <laughs> so no, listen, yeah. well, delighted to be on it, go. No, no, I was gonna say, I, I have to pick up on your fun fact. Like, you were on Games Master. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Well, 20 episodes, in fact. You know, I used to be, like I say, a journalist on the magazines many, many moons ago, blagged my way into that job. And obviously, even back now, when you look at it now, I've still got a, a real interest in writing, written four books. And obviously, you see my post on LinkedIn, and the most AF. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Like Games Master was such a like. Before we started recording, we we were geeking out a little bit, right? We were talking about how um, we love stuff from our youth, and I and, and you were making a point about kind of you know that special time and that special moment. It's I wonder. I wonder if my daughter will look back at the the, the toys and remnants of her childhood as fondly as we would, because now it's different, right? There's more stuff, there's iPads, tech, bits and pieces. When we were young, it was, you had a Spectrum, maybe an Atari if you were a little bit older and you know, a bucket load of Lego and Star Wars toys. That's right, or uh, Commodore 64 in my case, but, uh, and Space Lego. But look, you know, I think for me, when I look at all the geek stuff that I've got in and around my house and the man cave, is it is about going back to being Eight again, 1981, 82. And I swear, and I, you know, I said, somebody says, oh, have you got a Lamborghini? You know, how do you know you've made success? I've got myself a full-size arcade machine. And it was something that was a dream of mine as a kid that I said, I'm going to get one of them. I was eight-year-old playing Asteroids or whatever it was. And I've got one. And, uh, you know, I am, in fact, living the dream. So I'm a geek, but people wouldn't know that about me. You wouldn't think I did. I've got a face, obviously, uh, like, a, uh, like a potato. But I am a massive, massive geek. And that's uh, my, my unsung fact. And actually, you know, I think you make a really, really good point there, right? Like I've spoken to you a few times. We've, we've, um, well, we've spoken quite a few times. We talk on LinkedIn quite a bit. I had no idea that you were a geek like that, and I, like, I love that fact. That's made my day that I'm, I'm, I'm talking to someone that, that that also shares that. So, Brad, look, I wanna, I wanna dig into kind of how you got into this industry and and how you started working with accountants. But to do that, I want to talk a little bit about your journey because you've got a fascinating journey right like you talk about a lot 
growing up on a council estate, kind of everything you've been through, what's yep. defined the person you are now? So do you want to just kind of, for people that don't know you, kind of do just a short potted history of, of Brad Burton today? I know that's quite a, quite no, 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 a long, no, no. short potted history, right? No, no, no. Okay, listen, there's two versions of me. There's the guy whose dad left when I was six months old, left school with no qualification, moved 14 times from the age of eight to 14. Um uh, got shot at when I was 21, true story, and uh, been addicted to drugs twice, done four years on benefits and they delivered pizzas at 31 years old. There's that version. Then there's the other version that I just said, Brad Burton, the UK's number one motivational business speaker, the four-time best-selling author. So two sides of the same coin. And if I go back far enough in anyone's life, I'll find something questionable. <laughs> That's the reality of it. But most people are not stupid enough, like me, to talk about it. And I look at that, and this is, I think, why I've been so effective, is my brutal honesty about where I've come from and the kind of changes that I need to make in order to be this guy that I am. You know, I am a businessman, first and foremost. I am a motivational speaker. But before that, I was a businessman. You know, I cut my teeth, so to speak, as I walked out of a job, and it was um, February the 16th, sorry, December the 16th, 2004, told my employer to shove the job up the backside and um, had no idea what I was going to do. 25 grand in personal debt. But I'll tell you something, it was a wonderfully liberating experience uh, for those three hours whilst I drove home and married and arrived home going, oh my gosh. And I've opened the door and standing before me was eight and a half stone of common sense. She says to me, the wife, you're home early, here to look after baby Ben while I go shopping. That's one way to look at it, Kerry. The other way is I've told my employer to shove the job up the backside. Phil, can I ask you, what do you think my supportive wife said? You can beep it. But anyway, look, she said, <laughs> she said, you're an effing idiot. Why couldn't you keep your mouth shut for five days and get your Christmas pay? You had a point. Anyway, started my own business off a marketing business. Did 18 months of that. First year, 28 grand. Second year, halfway through, 46 grand. And I landed on this whole networking space, the networking space. And in political terms, you've got the loony left where nothing quite happens in networking. All very nice. Chablis, the mayor talking about parking provision. Then you've got the hard right. Where's your leads? Where's your referrals? You have to attend. I thought, where was the mainstream of networking? I started my first networking group over in February the 16th, uh, 2006. And nobody gave me a chance. Bank manager told me that, you know, I didn't have enough working capital. Um, just everyone said, you know, it's a close shop. Fast forward 16 years, I've run 68,000 real life business networking meetings across the UK, up and down the land. And the only reason that I'm no longer involved in that business is because something called the pandemic. The pandemic came on March the 20th, um, 2020. And Boris Johnson told us to stay at home. And my 500 groups that I was running every single uh, month kind of ebbed away, ebbed away, ebbed away. And that's where I am. So, you know, I focused and fell back on what I'm really good at communicating. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, I think you say kind of talk about, you say about, you know, people aren't silly enough to share their story and everything else. But actually what I'm seeing a lot more, um, certainly within the, the, the bubble that's linked in, right, is that, that people are sharing their story more and people mm -hmm. are taking a bit more of a Brad Burton-esque approach, as I'd like to call it, <laughs> with 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 how they do it. And there's some, there's some great examples of that, right, where people that talk about, like five years ago, would an accountant go onto uh, LinkedIn and talk about how they've got divorced, they've changed their business name, and they're happier and more successful and focusing on clients now? Yeah. Listen, five, God, God bless our Sharon. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, right? Um, but like, but that's the thing, right? Like, so five years ago, I don't think people would have done that. I think that changing landscape, people are more comfortable sharing. I'm an example of this, right? Like I, I have dyslexia and I've not talked about it ever. 
never talked about never even told an employer it's, it's just so like, i just i just take the people taking the mickey at me about not being able to spell um and writing stuff wrong and i go okay fine that's all right no problem um but a couple of years ago probably during the pandemic um yeah. i started talking about it for the first time and it was one of the biggest posts i ever did because people really resonate with that and it taught me something it was like when you're a human and you bring that to what you do people relate to it and and they don't by the way they don't always have to like you and i think like you know i think you probably are someone that's quite comfortable with that i'm guessing like being yeah. someone that people like and not like well, you know what for respond the, to no, there's a couple of things here one is it's only a daft idea if it doesn't work so you look at me okay um Jeans, trainers, T-shirt, tattoos, look like a drug dealer. I'm not, by the way, Phil, anymore. But we can all change. <laughs> but, but, the, but the point is, is that you would not archetype, archetypally put me as a motivational speaker. Ordinarily, motivational speakers have been over Mount Kilimanjaro or the Great Wall of China with the Pakamak and a unicycle. I've done none of those things. But what I've done is I've turned my life around. And I go back down to this whole thing is that my approach we were almost generation one of these, this, this whole thing where it's a whole lot easier to follow someone who's actually changed it, brought them all. So I look at the networking scene. When I started that, that my networking, we did one-to-ones in group time. That was unheard of. One-to-ones now, 16 years on, everyone's copying that. We did the passport that allowed you to go anywhere. Oh, that'll never work. You need to have the same. So these daft ideas are only daft ideas uh, when they don't work. When they do work, you're a genius. And this is, I think, what we're finding right now. A lot of these, you know, we're almost like... Uh, like like opening the 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 flood door the, the gates for everyone to be able to be I hate using the word but authentic because by default I think when people say oh Brad you're so authentic it also implies that everyone's unauthentic but I think what there's been is there's been a hiding behind professionality right and first and foremost before I was a professional okay and I might not look professional but I get a, a invoice I get paid I'm professional right that's my definition of professional but here's the thing with it all is that somewhere along the way, someone's got to go first. Someone has to go first. Someone has to change things. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. I think the floodgates have gone. I think momentum has gone. Accountants are no longer stuffing. And I've got to say, if I'm really honest, I think zero were the ones that started that ball, ball off to make it cool, to make accountancy cool. You know, the, 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 the Glastonbury of accounting world, that kind of thing kind of allowed everyone to go, well, if they're doing it, Okay, and then all of a sudden we start. We've seen the three-piece suit, the pocket watch, and monocles. They've started falling away, replaced with jeans, trainers, and t-shirts. And I think that's what a modern-day accountant looks like. When I started my networking business 16 years ago, not a chance. An accountant wearing jeans, trainers, and t-shirt would have been castigated and had witch hunts and people with uh, flaming bales of hay and pitchforks chasing them. But now, I think that's the norm. Yeah, you make a really good point. I, it's one of the things that, funny enough, when I started my first job in this industry uh, back with a forecasting app um, and they sold it to me in a very simple way. They said, uh, you can get MacBook and you never have to, you'll never have to wear a suit again. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Didn't know anything about the product or the market, but yeah. I like, I've worked in banking for years. I didn't want to wear a suit. I, I much prefer MacBooks because they are better computers, in my opinion. Um, and I was, I'm in, I'm done, right? That's all I need to do. And, and since that day, the only time I've worn a suit is where I go to a black tie dinner. And I quite like that. You can feel a bit James Bondy at that point, Absolutely. can't you? <laughs> um, so you're right. And so I guess that takes us through quite nicely to um, zero. And I want to, I'll dump a little bit back into your past, but I think actually you've got to, got to a good point. Uh, what was the decisioning for zero to bring a Brad Burton in to do a motivational keynote speech? 
Because Zero can be a little wacky and wild, but even back in 2019, that was probably a bit of a, a bolder call. So how did that conversation go? And and what did they just say to you, just be Brad Burton? Or were they like, actually, maybe? So great question. So I, when I was at, oh my gosh, I was at your party on the boat and someone yes. who was in that meeting, and I can't for the life of me remember this guy's name, but he was in that meeting when they put my name forward and they all went... <laughs> right? He told me, he said, oh my gosh. And, and, and what he said to me, and God, you know, God bless his soul, uh, Gary Turner was the one who was kind of championing that, that decision. He realised that the day after, uh, day two, opening day two, was me. You know, free bar. And you know all about the dangers of a free bar, right? Free bar at Excel. What could possibly go wrong? So everyone was obviously really tired, but they made the decision. But what the only thing that Gary said to me, he said, I said, Gary, can I swear? Now I've worked with you guys as well. I've done a few gigs with you. I do by default swear. Currently I'm in mum mode, right? Because I don't want you to be pressing the beat button. However, I do swear. That's my natural default position. Gary said to me, you've got two swear words. Make them count. <laughs> that's what he said. Now that is a leader. That is a leader. And that's something that, you know, as, as a great visionary, you know, you know what they, these guys, those guys did with Zero and, and changing the industry. But it was, um, yeah, it was a real turning point for my, and, and the, the, I had a videographer capture that day. And I can tell you something right now. <clears throat> One of the proudest moments of my life, and I mean that sincerely, there's 36 seconds video um, of, of me at the end where I'm just soaking up. You know, you're talking to 3,000 accountants where, guess what? This guy shouldn't fit in. This guy shouldn't work. He's not going to work. We need a guy with a three-piece suit, you know, and a monocle and whatever. And, and, and they went for it. And I think that that's what life's about. You have to go for it. You have to take a risk. You have to change something. Because if you don't change something, nothing changes. And I think that, and I'll, you know, it's a bold statement, but I think somewhere along the way, I think that that keynote helped to change the industry, to, 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 to unsquare it a little bit more again. It was already on its way, but I think that's what it did. Yeah, and, and and I think you're right. It, it, you, I remember I was I was at that zero con. Um, I wasn't at that talk because um, actually I was. <laughs> I always say this to people: I genuinely wasn't hungover. I woke up just feeling really bad that morning. So yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, I've got to pass my hand my pass over to someone. Then I'm going to go home because I don't feel that good. But I remember seeing people come out of it, and like, I was like wow what's just been going on in there because people are coming out with a very different vibe to what i've seen people come out of event halls and i i spoke i spoke to a couple of people i know i said what was going on what was that about i said oh this guy brad burton he's like it was nuts but it was like something so different but a great way to start day two so instantly it resonated instantly people were talking about it and i think that's what that's what always happens when you know, you're in a room, right? You know something, you know something, you'll never be the market leader copying the market leader. That's yeah. the reality of it. And I am, I put myself in a field of one. I put myself in a field of one. When I started this whole motivation game, there was no one dressing like me. And I, I can't, you can't look, me putting a three-piece suit on is just a northern bloke with a three-piece suit on. It won't work for me, right? It wouldn't work for me. It would stifle who I stand for. And even in itself, this, people get me wrong. People underestimate me. And if you're underestimating me, how many other people are you underestimating? How many other situations are you getting wrong? And then itself, just at its very core of me, you are seeing a lesson for life there. You know, we can all be a better version of ourselves, but what we end up doing is we end up going to the default version of ourselves. And what, as a motivational speaker, what I do is I get that better version of myself out. And as a result of that zero thing, I mean, my primary um, like marketplaces is accountants. And I, I never set out to do that. 
Like, no way. Like, did I go, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, business plan, I'm going to put a cap. Never. But somewhere along the way, it kind of, I kind of fell into it. A bit like marriage, only 22 years in now. I, I think, like, you talk to a lot of people in the, certainly tangential to the industry, right? Not people that are accountants, because obviously they train and work really hard for that job. But the people on the sidelines, so many of us fell into this industry. I fell into this industry. Right. Like I said, I had no idea what I was doing when I when I joined that business. But they offered me a MacBook and, and I could wear shorts. And I was like, I mean, why would I not take that job, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know... Um, Interesting. And of course, you know, like you say, that's built for you. You were you were at Accounting Web Live back yeah. in November. You were at Accountex in May this year. Um, you know, you've now become one of the kind of key people in this space in the motivation. We've at Walters Club, we've used you at a couple of events, one digital and thankfully then one in real life because, I, you know, it's nice. Digital Brad's good, but real Brad's... Um... But you know what, Phil? It's a bit like drawing a picture of a sandwich when you're hungry, do you know what I mean? There's something about real life. And once again, <laughs> can I just say something that was a classic with this because it was a sales conference with you. And this is the thing, I think I asked the question, so put your hand up if you've sold something in the last three months. Keep it up in the last month and everyone's hand went up. I said, what am I going to teach you about selling? I've got eight hours of this. I said, you guys know how to sell, but what I'm going to teach you is how you get your mindset in there so that when you wake up, you are on fire. You are in that best version of yourself. And that's what I do. And then, look, I've got no degree in psychology, but anyone with a degree or anyone that's ever got a degree in psychology, guess what? Somebody clever made up a degree with psychology. So I'm making up my own <laughs> qualification. Guess what? If you can do the job, you're qualified. And I've got a track record of doing the job and therefore I'm qualified, which is making a positive difference and getting people in the best version of themselves because there is a good version and a not so good version. And the more that we can do, it's like the biggest fight of our life Biggest fight of our life as to which version of us we will become. And I am now 50 year old and I'll look younger. I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm that best version of myself. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think I think that's such a good point, right? Like, like helping people become, and that's what salespeople need. Like, if you're selling and you've been doing that job for a while, and let's be honest, most people in our industry specifically, and, and where I sit within this industry, you don't tend to get people that have never sold before, right? It's quite a complex sale. So people that come in are experienced, they know the industry, they know the products, and they know what they're doing. But actually, it's it's how do you keep that mindset? Because sales is a tough job. Well, yeah, well, there's two things here. There's two things here. I've written it down. What you need is day one enthusiasm. So if you think about it, when you go for an interview and you're on your best behavior, or you go first day a uh, job, or you're on your first date, you're on your best behavior. So that, do that every single day. That's what I get people into. Get that day one enthusiasm every single day. And I go back down to sales. People go, oh, Brad, you're so charismatic. You can sell you to anything. And I'm whoa, 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 whoa. I do not consider myself a salesperson in any way or form. But what I do is I create the conditions where people buy. I create yeah. the conditions where people buy. I don't sell ever. I promise you. You know, I do um, something where I offer people 15 minutes. People will tap me, oh, Brad, have you got five minutes? We had that conversation before. Have you, got, have you got five minutes? And the problem is I would literally get 13 inquiries in a day. Have you got five minutes? Can you just run it over there? Can you give me a view on this? And I'm like, I, I, I could not do it. Five minutes a piece, that's over an hour a day. It wasn't five minutes. You know this. So what yeah. I offer people 15 minutes now that you can book in on the calendar. 15 minutes. And in that 15 minutes, I will answer their question. I will give them, uh, there's no sales pitch whatsoever. If they want a sales pitch, I'll ask them at the end, would you like a sales pitch? If they say yes, you can have an extra five minutes, right? That's it. If they say no, cool. So that's what I've done in this whole new approach of doing it. Oh, what we're going to do is a 60 minute discovery call. You don't need 60 minutes to discover anything. 
You need 15 minutes. I can explain the Apollo moon landings in 15 seconds. Are you telling me that what you're, we need to discover is more complicated than that? No. And this is the thing you have, but we've always done 60 minute discovery calls. Why? Why have we done that? Because actually what it is, is a 60 minute free sales pitch. So don't do that. Do a 15 minute one. And this is what we need to understand that time is the most important asset that we've got. We are now 25 minutes closer to death since the minute we started, Phil. You know, so why would we do a 60 minute discovery call when you can actually discover in 15 minutes? We just need to get smarter about this because this is our most important asset. Time and it's the one that keeps up so freely and we get it all so very wrong. Time, people, look after it. Yeah, I, do you know, I love that. Again, it's, it's a really, really interesting idea because you're right, like you phone someone up and go, I want to talk to you about a compliance software. Have you got like an hour? And they're like, well, I know what it does, right? Like, like one bit of software effectively solves the same problem. It does it maybe in a different way. Yeah. But actually, mostly it's people that we buy, right? It's that first day energy that we buy. Mate, 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 mate. I am, I am putting something in here right now, which is an absolute um, understanding. This is a principle that I've come up with, right? Meet, like, know, and trust. Okay. You meet someone. If you don't like them, it doesn't go any further. I met you. I like you. Therefore, I got to know you. Over time, I've got to trust you. MLKT. So here's a little, little equation for you, right? Not bad for a thick lad from Manchester. Write this down, Phil. MLKT. Meet, like, know, and trust. Yes, we're there. Plus requirement, REQ. Okay, we've got requirement. Plus the price is right. PIR equals sale. You will be able to track every single sale that you've ever lost based on that. Did, they, did you meet them? Did they like you? Did they know you? Did they trust you? If the answer is no, you're not going to proceed. Did they have a requirement? If the answer is yes and the price is right, you've got a sale. You can track, and this is what I train people, you can track every single sale that you've ever done, that you've ever won, you've ever lost based on that ability. You know what? Let me tell you something. If the buyer doesn't like the seller, it's going nowhere. <laughs> That's the reality of it, unless you're yeah. a Unless you're a jet garage, at which point I'll drive 10 miles to save a penny on a litre. But... <laughs> yeah. That's so true, isn't it? Like, like you're you're absolutely right. So, just I want to talk about resilience, right? Like, you had an incredibly successful business. You were doing really well. You'd overcome a, a bucket load of challenges and, and things in the past. And like, probably I'm guessing in February 2020, you were sitting there going, "Yeah, you know, life ain't getting much better than this, right? I'm smashing it on every single front." Correct. May, um, April 2020, you're sat at home going. Hmm. Um, how do you like getting shot at growing up on a, a council estate being on benefits maybe not the getting shot at thing but yeah. the other bits they're all they're all things that that, that are relatively common right like like <laughs> they're, they're problems to overcome the getting shot at thing not yeah. so much but actually losing a multi-million pound business overnight and having to start again that takes something right Phil, let me tell what you was it Phil, let me tell you something i am so glad i got shot at because it caused me to move away from Salford, my home of 21 years, to Somerset. And then eventually I met my wife, started a business, and you and I are talking, and there's four books, and I was speaking at ZeroCon, all because I got shot at. So think about that logically. If I had not been shot at, we wouldn't be speaking now. There'd be no thousands of people at ZeroCon. There'd be no books. There'd be no... What would I be doing? What would life look like? It's a proper sliding doors moment. So this is how I can able to recalibrate anything that's terrible. Anything that is terrible that has happened in your life, you might not want to like it, 
Okay, I didn't enjoy getting shot at. I didn't think that was a good thing. And everyone, oh, that's amazing. But somewhere along the way, 20 years in, you go, ah, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. The worst thing that ever happened to me became the best thing. So this is what I would say. If I said to you, Phil, put your hand out right now. I'm going to put a red hot coal on there. How long would you hold on to it? You'd let go of it. But what we end up doing in life is we hold on to that. We They took our job. They lost our contact. They cheated on me. They, 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 what they did. And every single time it causes more and more. At some point, you have to let go. At some point, you've got to accept. And that's what this is about. You know, I am getting a bit zen-like, but that's what you've got to do. You've got to accept. You know, I could sit there and get furious. It's out of order. Come on, Rishi Sunak. Come on, Boris. You need to go and sort this out. Or I could do what this. There's no cavalry. There is no cavalry. No one is going to save you. Any wrong that has been done, no one's going to make it right. So therefore, on that basis, what is the point? So I let go of it. You know, my business too, but one point, I can't remember, 1.6, 2 point, I can't remember. That's how much of a blur this last three or four years has been, but it went overnight. So, you know, and all of a sudden, ah, but it got a bounce back loan. And then three days later, I had no bounce back loan because I paid everyone off, okay? So tough times. Tough times when you used to 100 grand coming in through the door every single thing, and then all of a sudden, just no 100 grand through no fault of my own. The business collapsed pretty much because of no fault of my own. What you're gonna go and sit in Weatherspoons with two pints and a racing potion and a fag in my mouth, furious about what I could have been and what no, get on with it. And this is what I'm saying: everything happens for a reason. And dare I say, even the shitty stuff, and sometimes it just takes 20 years for it to make sense. So why wait 20 years for it to make sense? Make sense of it now. And always ask yourself this question: when things go wrong in your life and your business, what does this make possible? And what it makes possible is a fresh start. And I'm so so very glad because it allowed me to get off the hamster wheel that I'd managed to find myself on. And that is one of the things that I work with, with, with accountants. They get themselves in this situation where they've got this business that they started off and it's like amazing. And then they go, um, I've got everything that I want. I can't stop running. <laughs> and it's like, you know, at some point you've got to let go. And that's the bit that I've managed to crack, letting go. Do you think, honest question, do you think that if the pandemic hadn't have come along, that, you would have just you would have got to a point where you were trapped by that business and there was probably no you would you have been i have to keep doing it because it buys the cars it buys the holidays it buys everything else but actually i'm not enjoying this and i don't want to do it anymore but i can't get off this hamster wheel so covid almost gave you a, a almost gave you a, not an excuse wrong word but almost gave you a, Listen, a way out yes and, and this is what i always ask that question what does this make possible and it makes possible for a fresh start look I have learned and developed the Brad Burton that sits before you today is a completely different one to the one that I was at 40 and they're completely different to 30 and over 20 and so forth. But what we end up doing is we don't move without with the times, you know, the fashions that we wore 10 years ago wouldn't necessarily be appropriate now. Um, but what we end up doing is we hold on to the way that it used to be. We hold on to the accounts and say we hold on to all software. People are still using Windows 95 because you've got Minesweeper on. And at some point, you've got to let go. At some point, the only way that you can become the person you want to become and the business owner that you want to become is by letting go of the person that you once was. And that's what I've ended up doing. And I've done it beautifully. And once you realize, you know, half the pain, if you imagine being on a trapeze and you've run out of momentum and you're just holding on and holding on and holding on and holding on. <laughs> And at some point you got to let go. It's the fear. And that's what people need to do to understand that you're not going to starve to death, that you're not going to lose your property. And life is going to go on. Divorce, somebody talked, you talked about before. You know, things go on. Things go on. Oh, Brexit, we're never going to recover. Pfft, come on. You know, things change. Things move on. The, 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 the only constant in life is change. And the sooner you can accept that, and that's what it's about, acceptance. You might not enjoy the things that you've got to deal with, but you have got to accept. If not now, when? In five years' time that you got cheated on? By your ex, 
or, or, or now. And that's what I'm trying to say. You're going to get to get over it sometime. So how is holding on to that pain and, and so forth? And that's what I think I've cracked. And maybe, look, if you'd have got me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought this way. But somewhere along the way, I look at my life and why I'm speaking to you right now and all the books and everything there was and zero kind of and so forth and context because of something terrible that happened. So therefore, on that basis, why isn't this next terrible thing going to open up something else as well? And that's what you've got to do. You've got to start looking at the world like that. Yeah. And I think if more people did that, we'd have more positivity. I don't know if positivity Serenity. is the right word, but we'd have Serenity. more... Serenity. Serenity. You know, yeah. You know, Phil, let me tell you what success is. And I've realised something, right? Having had a situation where I had a daft car, I had more money than I could sensibly know what to spend. Truth, right? Is that I look at this and I think that I call it success. Where people get it wrong, success. They've got the big house. They've got the, the car. They've got the money but they've also got a partner that doesn't ever see them and kids that never see them. That's not success. That's not something that should be, you know, yeah, you look at me, I'm at the top of the tree. You know, that's not what it's about. And I've realised something that what true success is, is happy and contentment. You get happy, you get content. I've got friends of mine that are very, very wealthy, more money than I've ever seen in my life available at a current account right now. And they're not happy. They're not happy. They're not happy. Scale up to 10, a mate of mine's got 10 million pound fluid that he can just get access right now. Scale up to 10, I asked him, said, I'm happier on scale up to 10. He said, four. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. But only what you end up doing is buying more cars, more properties, more houses, bigger portfolio, more investments. For what? How much? And also, how much and also you... you get tied to it, right? Like, like you get tied to that that wealth. You you go, well, now I've got to buy a more expensive car. Oh, I've got some money, but actually I'm just gonna borrow against it. I'm just gonna get <laughs> and, and, and you create that thing where you're you're always indebted to yourself Correct. and to others, Correct. and therefore you need the bigger house and the bigger house and the bigger house. I, I see it. I've got friends at the same. Phil, let me tell you, I have a five-bedroom property right now where I live in Somerset. No one's getting shot. I've got a detached house in a village. There's no stolen cars going around, right? I'm living the dream by all accounts. But there was a time when I wanted a 10-bedroom mansion, right? And I could have got a 10-bedroom mansion. And I had this idea that have these sweeping staircases, two of them, and my wife would come down with a Givenchy dress and me with a Hugo Boss suit, and we'd come down the stairs and some of my butlers would open the doors and all the guests would come looking in, looking around, looking at the chandeliers. Oh, Brad, look what you've achieved. How fantastic. <laughs> You know, what a load of shit. Phil, I'm from Salford, Manchester. I lived above a chip, chip in a masonette. You know, this is the thing. In my house, my five-bedroom house, I've got one room that I don't go in. If I realise the dream and get me a ten-bedroom mansion, guess what? I'd have six rooms I don't go in. This is stupid. That's a mental illness. And I see people, because what they end up doing is believing that happy is around the next corner. And then they get there and they go, ah, it's the next corner when they get the next promotion. Or you get a 40-inch television, then a 60. Ah, it's 18-inch, that's where happy is. Then 100, then 100 inch. Now I need a home cinema. It never ends. And this is what you need to do. You need to make certain that where you are is where you want to be. Because it's always happy and contentment is always in the next place. Well, it's not. Because I'll tell you something, I spent my, my years, 16 years of a business, to get to the top of a mountain. I got to the top of the mountain. I wrote a book on now what? because I got there and it was empty, empty. I'd retired at 42. Three months of playing computer games, going to the gym, it was empty. So what we end up doing is we end up thinking that this thing that's at the top, that the world tells us, Instagram, television, The Apprentice, um, Dragon's Den, getting out of a helicopter with Peter Jones and having a few rounds of golf or whatever you do, right? You know, that that's what success is. No, it's not. You know what success is? Me sat on my ass, playing my PlayStation, playing my Lego, going walking the dogs. That's my version of success. But society would look at that and go, ah, that's not right. You need to have a helicopter. You need to be, stop. 
you find what makes you happy. You find what makes you happy. How did anyone ever get happy before the other widescreen televisions? How did anyone ever lose weight before Hue was invented? How did anyone, do you see what I'm saying? We've over-engineered society, we've over-engineered what success is. People, 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 we did not have an inside toilet. We had no radiators. We had, you know, and this is the thing, when you start getting people and you go around to the house and you've got underfloor heating, you know that things are going very, very wrong in their life. I promise you. <laughs> Joe, it's, it's interesting. We started this talk um, talking about the 80s and simpler times, right? And and you are right. It, 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 as I've got older, I've clung back to those simpler times. I've, got, I've realized that, you know, a 50, 50 inch TV is actually enough. Uh, by the way, most people don't realise that if you sit less than two metres away from your TV, you don't need a 50-inch OLED. Like, yeah, but, you like, have, but you do to sell all your friends at a dinner party. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, right? that's it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, they, you, they, you want them to walk in your house and go, oh, you must be successful. You've got an 80-inch TV. What it actually means is you don't understand how the audiovisual and uh, eyes <laughs> Oh, work. Phil, I'm always getting technical, people. That's a completely <laughs> different podcast. Phil, can I just say something? I think we need to go back to a simpler time. I really do. I think if you think about the internet, um, social media, 2020, 2010, 2011, it was it was a good social, but it was a good space. Right now, I think it's almost like digital ghettos. I think we've weaponized social media. I think we're in a position right now where everyone is thinking faster, 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 bigger, 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 bigger. Honestly, let me tell you something. I've got tens of thousands of followers on this platform, that platform, this platform, whatever. You know what? I've got a handful of good friends. And I'll tell you something, I'd have a handful of good friends, over 100,000 followers any single day. And I think, people, I think we've been on the wrong one. I think we've been going up the wrong ladder here as a society. And I think that's why we've got it, because moderate voices don't get heard anymore. So actually, yeah. you, you've got extremes on either side, and moderate voices don't speak, don't get heard. So therefore, and this problem is with all, and I'll tell you, two years ago, I made the decision to take myself off the news. I've watched two hours of news in two years in total. Right. I used to be watching that. I'd be doing that on a daily basis. I was LBC driving the Today Show. I was, you know, this becomes a point where you've only got a finite amount of stuff that can go in your brain. Right. So, so what you think it's infinite? No. So if you're thinking about news and, and wars going on right now, you're not thinking about your children or your family or the impact that you can have on your own business. Stop it. Do yourself a favor. No news is good news. It's not, you know, it's not a bad point. You turn the news on and day in, day out, it's nothing but kind of negativity. And I joke with my wife, I used to, I, I joke about the times where you used to get the story at the end of the news, which was the cat stuck up the tree and story. Finally, right? yeah. And finally, in, in Lewis today, the fireman rescued a cat that was stuck up a tree and you have a local <laughs> news reporter. None of that anymore. Yeah. No, you don't get that happy story at the end. And it's such, such relentless. And so you, I think you put that combination of relentless negativity and bad news and then you put that pressure of social media to have to be better look better you know be have more followers more and, and it just yeah, like yeah. i struggle being a parent and trying to bring my child up in a world where likes are more important likes online are more important than conversations in real well, life and it, well, i struggle you know, with that well likewise and i think this is a thing as someone who's a big tech guy i've been into tech all my life you know, all the way back from the Commodore 64 in the 80s and so forth. I love tech, but I think right now, I think it's going too fast. I think it's going too fast for society. I think we're going through a culture shock with technology. I think um, everything, like I say, faster. Everyone's got neon neon signs. You know, this is, you've got to have one of these in order to, to be a social media expert right now. But yeah, yeah, we've got one night. But this is what I'm trying yeah. to say. We don't realise how lucky we are, but still it's not enough. 
We need a bigger neon sign or we need a bigger TV and it never ends. And this is the question you need to ask yourself, how much is enough? You as a business owner, I've got a friend of mine, true story, I was at Gauchos before he ate meat, as I don't eat meat anymore. How do you know, by the way, you're interviewing a vegan or a vegetarian, don't worry, they'll tell you. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I was at a restaurant years ago with a friend of mine and he'd built a two million pound business and he's a council state kid and I said, mate, well done. And he said, yeah, I said, you know what? I'm not going to stop here though. I said, oh, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going for a 10 million pound business. And I said, that's really interesting, that, mate. I said, why is that? And he goes, well, you know, so I can get the nice things. Like what? Well, you know, the nice things for my family. Like what? Well, you know. I said, no, I don't, tell me. I said, how old you, boy? He said, five. I said, how long is it going to take you to get this um, £10 million business? He said, eight years. No, we boy be then 13. Like, okay. So what are these nice things? And he went, boom. And I said, mate, that's not to be say, don't be ambitious, don't be driven, but above all, be happy. Because what we end up doing is we we, we get to the 10 million, it's not enough. Now we need well, 10 becomes it. 20, right? And it becomes right. 30, so it's 100. Right. And now what's happening is you're playing into that role of being that guy. You know, you look at me, right? Like I say, you know, I know I look like a drug dealer. Right? I would lean into it, right? I do. That's great. But... But what I'm saying is that when I when we go on the holidays or when we were on the holidays and everything was flash, I could have gone to the best hotels in Disney. We chose not to because I wouldn't fit in. I'd have to wear a polo shirt, a pink shirt, and a khaki shirt. That's not me. So I'd go to the third one down, you know, and that's that's the top of the thing. And I always say something that if you're flying first class all the time, it's no longer first class, it's standard. And I think that's become the problem is that we've become an expectation about what success should be, that it should be the Instagram highlight reel day in, day out. I've got a show reel that I put on social media for the laugh the other day. I said, this is what my mum thinks I do. Me speaking on big stages, flying all over the world and this, that, but I don't do that day in, day out. But if I wanted people to believe that, I could paint a picture quite easily of me getting in and out of Bugattis at 1.2 million pound a piece. Nobody would know that they're not mine, they're a friend of mine. Nobody would know. And this is the danger that we're in right now, is that we believe in everything that we see. And what we need to be doing is turning down the volume on this and turning up the volume on our own self-talk and find that better version of ourselves. Because I'm telling you something, people, what we're seeking in terms of happiness, contentment and success externally is an internal job. You get that thing right and everything's cool. Listen, I lived in council estates above chippies, right? I am living the dream by now. And I've had people on social media say, oh, you're, you're, you know, you've not got high net worth. Shut up. Right. I'm happy. That's what matters. Above all, on my balance sheet, and I swear I do this, I swear I do this on my balance sheet. I have how happy am I on a scale of one to ten? And right now, if you used to ask me, eight and a half out of ten. Yeah. Funny if I was listening to an accountant talk um, about this exact thing yesterday, and she was saying that one of her KPIs is exactly that. One of her KPIs is happiness of her team. Happiness of her team. And you think, what a great KPI to have in a business. How happy are my team? I've, I've, because I've, I've, so no, I was going to say, because, uh, yeah, that's such a good measure of how good you're running your business, how good you are as a boss. So this is how I gauge, this is how I, how I, like, look after myself. This is my thing. And it's almost, I'm a computer gamer. And I have gamified life. I've gamified business. I've made it fun. In a computer game, you know, you and I, let's have a game of a Street Fighter, and all of a sudden I'm at 100%. You give me a couple of whacks, and now I'm at 40% energy. Am I going to be fighting with the same confidence that I did at start? No. I'm going to be fighting differently, defensively, more paranoid because I've got low energy. So actually, what you need to do as an individual, as a business owner, is ask yourself, am I high energy right now? If I am, go for it. If I'm low energy, okay, how do I go and get more energy? By going walking the dog, by going out for a meal, by doing these nice things, and go and do that. 
Energy is so important and absolutely crucial to your success in life and in business. Yeah. Amazing. So, Brad, one last question. Um, and I think this is the one that's on everyone's lips right now. Um, what was your favourite Commodore 64 game? Laser Squad. So a game called Laser Squad. It absolutely played it every single day, apart from three days in two years. And I met the programmer and it was like meeting my idol. They say, never meet your idols. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> See, I was a Spectrum gamer. And I think my the game I played the most probably ever and i still play it to this day from time to time is a game called the wild bunch um and you just literally just go around trying to catch um cowboys in different different towns you go and you have gun fights and buy drinks and play don't be talking your fantasies mate you know what i mean you know <laughs> brad look it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today um brad where can people find out more about you so listen, if you want to jump on that 15 minute call and I will give you as much advice as I can, bradburton.biz forward slash 15. Interested in working with me? Work with brad.biz. Either way is good. I'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Well, look, that's it for this episode of the Practice Evolution Podcast. You can find out more about Walters Clure Tax and Accounting UK by visiting waltersclure.co.uk or connecting with us on LinkedIn or following us on Twitter. And remember to subscribe, rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, thanks again to Brad for being uh, an amazing guest. Um, and we will be back uh, in a few weeks with our next episode. And uh, Ollie will be back from holiday by that point, probably looking far more tanned and healthy than I always look on these things. So look, thanks for listening. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.